everybody, and welcome back to the Offshore Insights Podcast, where we share captivating individuals and stories connected by water. I'm your host, Evan Luth. We're stoked you could join us today, and I hope you enjoy your listening experience. international waters, Jamal Yogis had already begun to experience a variety of lands, lifestyles, and cultures from an early age. He was a classically mischievous military brat who loved to find and push the boundaries and did so with great pleasure throughout his youth, leading him adrift in mind and place more than once. All the while, he followed his heart and applied an unrelenting curiosity and wonder about life and what it might look like outside of the various societal status quos of the world he had come to know. This quest led him to all kinds of experiences around the world, from becoming a Buddhist monk, swimming long distances in harrowing shark-infested waters, surfing world-class big waves like mavericks, to starting his own family and raising two children, over the years becoming a story of its own that was well worth telling. Now a published author of three books, Saltwater Buddha, now available as a movie as well, The Fear Project, and his most recent, All of Our Waves Are Water, Jamal uses his work to bridge understanding between human-created faiths, philosophies, and paradigms. He is the recipient of multiple journalism awards, and he and or his work has been featured in major media outlets such as the Washington Post, The Atlantic, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Oprah, Outside, ESPN, and many more. Now Jamal balances his time between creative literary projects, family life, teaching yoga and meditation, and naturally, surfing. In this episode, we discuss the importance of pushing our boundaries and exploring through trial and error, how to constructively channel our dominant energies and emotions like anger, running away to find home, integrating mindfulness practices into everyday life, and how to surf in and through all areas of your life. As someone who's grown up around an unusually large amount of spiritual people, quote unquote, relative to the general population, I have seen my fair share of the spectrum of integrity and truth. And as a result, I hold my healthy criticisms and a general caution with regards to any kind of guru or teacher within spiritual communities. And I can say with confidence that in my mind, Jamal is the real deal and walks the walk. For that reason, I had great pleasure getting to pick his brain and heart about the experiences with these endeavors and adventures. He has a genuinely calming and welcoming presence that was refreshing for me, and I'm sure you will get a sense for yourselves and enjoy too. From a sunlit hill in Golden Gate Park, San Francisco, I give you episode number eight with Jamal Yogis. Water. If I were called in to construct a religion, I should make use of water. Well, thank you for coming on and welcome, Jamal. I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, it's cool to connect you up here in this park. Beautiful sunny day in San Francisco. Well, mostly sunny day. I know the weather changes quickly here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was gorgeous uh, yesterday, the day before. Yeah, yesterday I think it was. No, the day before. Yeah, I'm glad you got a few 
good waves. Yeah. You know, we got that one day yeah. when you were coming in. That was Super nice. lucky window. I, I didn't realize it hadn't been that good for a couple of weeks. And Yeah, it's been a good season, but yeah, it's this month has been way more spotty. So, right. Yeah, you got just in terms of you weather. Hit it and right. And the spring can be weird here. This is like our right. we get some intense onshore wind here. I bet. It's like where you're just like it's like cars just caked. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well um just to start out I was thinking it'd be kind of cool if you could just give us a little basic story of kind of your life growing up, how you got to where you're at now, but specifically what I was curious about was how um how your relationship to both your parents and your peers, as well as your environment growing up, kind of helped to shape the trajectory that you went on as a kid. Yeah. Um, I think my my childhood was just kind of marked by the fact that I was a military brat. Um, my dad was in the Air Force, and so we moved a few times, you know, before I was six. So I was, like, born in New York, and then moved to Washington State, and then the Azores, Portugal, and that was wow. the really... Im- impactful place I think you know those are really formative times when you're like three to six because you're it's like that's when you're sort of narrative about the world and yourself or and so we were just plopped down in this cool little like adobe uh house on an island you know around the corner on tercera um around the corner from the beach and um and my dad was um not like a hardcore surfer by any means we just loved the water he grew up on the east coast like jones beach um surfing like a hobie yeah and uh and so he was really fired up to be back like by the the water yeah and um and it was a magic it was that was a magical time our family was still um together you know my mom and dad were together my sister and i had all these puppies we like (laughs) There were all these stray, perfect timing. No, no, yeah. Kids walking yeah. by. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Speaking of little puppies, right? Yeah. <laughs> there were all these stray animals on the island. And um, so we adopted all these puppies and we were at the beach body surfing all the time. And, um, and then we got restationed in Sacramento. Yeah. Which um, was kind of like, in some ways, like the polar opposite of, of magical <laughs> um, <laughs> in, in terms of. Um, it was just everywhere America, you know, right. like we lived in the suburbs. We just went to like, you know, road bikes and how old um, were you at that point? You no, know, I was like, like almost seven okay. when we moved. Um, and, uh, you know, and just had a kind of normal upbringing, you know, I was into sports and books and, um, but inevitably in the suburbs, you, just you start complaining about them and then looking for ways to get some adrenaline mm-hmm. <laughs> like if yeah. you're a kid you know like sure. it started out for us like bmx biking yeah. and skating and um and, and snowboarding yeah. yeah yeah and it was got really into snowboarding and that was one nice thing we weren't far from the mountains and uh but that you know i think quickly became like just all the stupid stuff that that uh, drugs, drinking, mm-hmm. and just being belligerent as yeah. much as we could. Yeah, yeah becoming like, unconscious, yeah. Typical, like, um, you know, uh, um, and I think it's, you know, some, to some extent, a lot of that's just, like, healthy stuff. You're just ex- experimenting. Figuring but it out. I, for whatever reason, like, I was just, um, 
it didn't things didn't feel right to me like around like 15 16 I started kind of you know we were always a family got to travel a fair bit and I had these parents who were into like philosophy and spirituality mm. and science and alternative ways of living so I had a a little window into the fact that there was you know the sort of status quo of like the American suburban culture isn't sure. all there is and so I always had felt like I had one foot in that world and then I started looking out of being like is this you know is this really what I'm going to let my life become you know <laughs> and, um, bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and so that's when that's when I started really also dreaming about like getting back into uh, a water existence you know yeah. and surfing and um, because I'd been into boarding sports, like surfing was always kind of like the thing that I got to do very occasionally, mm-hmm. and um, but it was like the ultimate, you know. Sure. Um, and and so so yeah, around 16, I'd been getting into a bunch of trouble. Like I was on a probation for a DUI, I'd been suspended from school for like smoking weed. I was starting to like deal weed a little mm-hmm. bit around, yeah. and. Um, it was nothing like I was definitely not like the bad kid at my high school, but I would seem to be getting into trouble more. Yeah, which I think was probably self sabotage and sure. a little bit of just like some part of you was welcoming yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just subconsciously like, like there's bring it on <laughs> or just sloppiness. I don't know. Sure, yeah. but uh, but anyway, yeah, I I started I got this idea that I was just gonna run away to Maui uh-huh. and um, and uh, yeah, it was funny like pre internet. I don't know if I could have pulled it off now, but I just, I did, you know, I like saved up some money, sold my old comic books, like bought uh, a a car stereo on my mom's credit card. I felt awful about it and then returned (laughs) it for cash and then just went to like this, I saw like this ad in the paper um, for like $150 flights to Maui. Yeah. And it was, I was like, I went down to this shady travel agency, like, in like, wow. <laughs> the, the, in this weird part of Sacramento. Yeah. And just, it was just like, they'd never, like, no ID or anything. You just, yeah. like, yeah. buy the Here's tickets. Cash, and then yeah. I was, yeah, and then I was just out. And um, so anyway, you know, um, that, but that was the, sh- that was, you know, long story short, I didn't end up staying that long in Maui. I was there for like a month and my, oh, my, wow. my, dad ended up coming over uh-huh. to get me um, and he convinced me to come home before my probation officer would find out and uh, I would like, get in some serious right, trouble right. Um, interesting but I surfed every day I was there like bought a, a, you know a board that was way too small for learning on and was like yeah. trying to surf the north shore and I was just getting beat up but it like um, it, it shifted things for me in that um, I realized I wanted to be, I did want to be uh, on an adventure, you know, just I wanted to be outside of the, you know, what I felt like my friends had kind of surrendered to, you know, which was a little bit of a prejudgment of them sure. that it wasn't that accurate, but that's what I was seeing them yeah. as like part you of the saw thing it as that I didn't see or right, you know, right. settling or. And my high school was like one of these places where like, you know, um, a lot of kids had, um, 
just sort of were taking, I think, their the ease of their lives for granted and not really, like, you know, had fancy cars yeah. or, like, you know, it was, like... Yeah. Not really questioning, you know, yeah. what, in a way that... Well, affluence that, can be a real sleep influence. It, you, you know, know I mean, it just puts you to rest and I think that's makes true. you comfortable just, just enough. It seems like that happens everywhere where there's a certain level of affluence. I, I, I know where so. I'm from, that happens a lot. Yeah, I think you just don't have the incentive to look deeper. Yeah. Because you're, you know, things are easy enough and you kind of are always able you're to like really squeak out yeah. um, of an issue. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, that, uh, so my parents were cool and they didn't like send, my dad could have like sent me to military school. Sure. Um, but he realized, you know, this was kind of a plea for help. And the cool thing about it was, I didn't really realize it, but I was super angry at my parents for their divorce and for the way that they had handled their marriage mm-hmm. and and us to some extent. Yeah. But I wasn't really acknowledging that. I was just kind of like, you know, I'm, you know. It was coming out in that way. It was yeah, yeah. Your life is this acting out kind of. Exactly. Yeah. And I didn't realize I was running away to an island to be in touch with my dad, you right. know. But right. I think on some level, like, he was the guy who had introduced me to the island life. And mm-hmm. he had always talked about Hawaii as this place where he would eventually go and There's get back into And so... Ironic symbolism in there. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Yeah. So he ended up coming out. And instead of having, like, this, like, big confrontation, I mean, that did eventually come. <laughs> but we kind of chilled and we, like... We surfed, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, and some part of me felt, I think, was did realize like, oh, this is maybe maybe I am like, you know, this is a little bit of a plea for help or like <laughs> yeah. a reconnection sure. with my dad. Sure. And um, anyway, so yeah, I ended up going. They ended up helping me go to France my senior year wow. of high school, um, and where I was hoping to like get you know put in like burrits and yeah. surfing. I didn't. I was like ended up in a small town in the mountains, which was also cool. Um, but that kind of just began, I think, a, a, an enjoyment of like, you know, adventuring, novelty seeking, yeah. you know, love of travel. And, and so kind of tried to keep on that yeah. path. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you would have you know, been pushed to one area of the world or another, just needing to find that questing, you know, experience and that kind of, like you said, the novelty, because it seems like in so many ways you were running from these things that were unsettled in your life, you know, internally from family, but also that you needed a break from the kind of monotony or the, you know, steadiness of affluence, you know, back yeah. home, you know. And I think just our society is set up in a stupid way where like we we're using this education system where it's like from the 1800s where a teacher sits in front of 30 kids and like lectures to you for literally 12 year you know kindergarten through 12th grade and it's like you that's not the way that our learning has been over the last like 200,000 years of yeah. homo sapiens like we were adventuring we we're going hunting we we're going you know finding new uh, places and surviving and so that was there was a lot of adrenaline involved in that and a lot of adventure and the, yeah. the, it's interesting when you get it look into the science of like how we learn um, particularly boys because we were that was the way you know we mm-hmm. were pushed 
pushed at a young age to go out yeah. like, on the frontier and be that primal you know, masculine energy warriors or hunters or you yeah. know, leaders and um, and I think like our, our education system totally uh, sets boys up for failure you know where you're not getting to test your own limits you're not getting and I mean that fortunately there's sports right and our society's like really hyper focused on uh, on like sports celebrity right and so boys have a way of like envisioning themselves as like Kelly Slater or Michael Jordan and they kind of like get their energy out that way which is good but um, but I think like you know a lot of boys end up becoming gangsters and mm -hmm. you know thugs or dropping out because it's like they're not getting stimulated yeah. in the way they, they need have a repressed to be. energetic yeah. In there. yeah you know and um surfing i mean i think if you if you're lucky to be raised on the coast and have that it can provide that and right. and and right. you know uh, so i think that's kind of what i didn't know that i was seeking that ah. but um but yeah you know um would you say that's a lot of why surfing remained maybe one of the few constants in your life throughout this kind of churning and tumultuous period growing up? Yeah, I think, you know, um, I think it it was always one of those things that was sort of uh, un, hard to put into words why you just keep coming back to it, mm. but like the sea kind of calls yeah. to you and, and when you're away from it, you just have that... Um, it's like missing, you know, your family. Yeah. You're just like, I gotta, I wanna get back there. Right. And um, so I think to some extent, you know, that's, it's hard, that, that aspect of it was just like primal or mm. intuitive where you're just like, I'm, I'm in the city and I feel like I should be at the cup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just know? that energetic draw, that outlet. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but then I also, I think over the years started, you know, being here in San Francisco or like um, in New York, or I was also really drawn to I think the learning of like big cultural centers. Mm -hmm. So I started looking for places where I could surf, but also like get find the to, magic and the madness kind of right yeah. interact with with all kinds of different people and yeah. Um, so it would and would sort of jump back and forth between like you know going out into like countryside in mm -hmm. Hawaii living out there and like living the like Puna lifestyle sure. and then being like you know I want to go try out New York or um, but in the end I mean I've realized it, it, it has been I think wanting to live on like an edge where I get to get getting to experience novelty because that's just where the learning mm -hmm. happens you yeah. know and um, and then I think you know I I think um, was really attracted to meditation and like Zen philosophy too, because I think that can quickly spiral into like just a weird addiction where you're not like ever settled, right? You know, where right. you're just like, what's next? Like, what's like bigger thrill, bigger wave, yeah. like bigger, you know? Um, and it, and it becomes more of a drug, and and so I think I I recognize that in myself, and and this, that it was becoming an extreme, yeah. In its own way. And um, and that it would be nice also to, like, maybe, you know, real happiness isn't just about... Like, it's nice to learn, but also, like, that, you know, to be able to be happy where you are. Yeah. And, um, 
and to really drop into it and not right. be like, what's next, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seeking the next fix, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you kind of came into spiritual disciplines on your own then, it sounds like, kind of intuitively had a little bit of exposure, it sounds like, through your parents in terms of just uh, alternative philosophies and alternative life perspectives, but it sounds like you kind of just intuitively gravitated towards that. Is that how it went for you, or was there something that really pushed you towards what eventually became monastery work and otherwise? Yeah, I um, I mean, it was a little of both. My parents were, were definitely, um, you know, my mom was Jewish, my dad was Catholic, and they both kind of rebelled out of that in the 60s and 70s and were, like, studying yoga, and that's actually how I got my name, okay. Jamal. Nice. Um, Jaimal is, like, um, they were studying under this Sikh teacher named Baba Jamal Singh okay. in, like, Boston in the 70s. So they were hippies and, you know, trying out different stuff. And that was, but then they became like kind of conformists, and that, you know, my mom became a teacher, my dad was in the uh-huh. military. And, um, but they, there was always. So this was prior to his military journey? Pri- well, yes. So, yeah. Wow, interesting. He, he, so he got into. Um, I feel like usually it would be the reverse for people. Right? You know? Right? Coming yeah. out of that conditioning. And- no, I know. They were like ashram hopping and stuff. And wow. like, you know, my dad was a total like you know, was at like Woodstock and was uh-huh. like, you know, all the, and then, but he had been in Vietnam mm-hmm. in the Navy, um, and it was on a submarine. And, uh, so he knew the military. And I think actually when they had my sister, I think they just realized, Hey, like we need to, we need to take care of these kids. Steady and he was like, income, you yeah. know, the military will be uh, supportive solid. structure. Yeah. yeah. And I know how to do that. And so right. I think he already had some kind of credits having been in the Navy. Yeah. And, um, but anyway, yeah, they were, so those, we had books around our house, like the Bhagavad Gita and like, mm-hmm. you know, things where, um, and then we would occasionally like go up to this um, ashram and the foothills. And um, so we had little introductions to, and my parents meditated mm-hmm. and did yoga. But they never, you know, pushed it on us or, like, made it any kind of family, sure. like, religion or tradition. Um, but it was actually when I, um, when I ran away, I, I think because I was, like, trying to push away from sort of conformity, I grabbed a couple books, like, with me. I, like, I grabbed, like, Siddhartha uh-huh. by Herman Hess yeah. and, like, Hawaii by James Mishner. Uh-huh. And, no, a couple others um, and that and, and I think going back to like the sleepiness of, of affluence mm. like all of a sudden the cool thing about running away was just like holy shit like I need to get food like just all of a sudden these like survival things right. were, were immediate necessities for the resources right were relevant and, and the pain and like anxiety that comes yeah. along with like I need to get money I need to get food like what right. Uh, shelter, Your like, sense of security and well-being is yeah. threatened all of a sudden. And, um, and, and then it also became apparent that, like, I think with that anxiety that I needed some sort of mental mm. tool. And so I started trying to kind of, like, I think because I was reading Siddhartha, I was like, I'll try to meditate. And, yeah. And then it was actually similar kind of issues came up in France because all of a sudden I was like this kid who didn't speak the language and I lived in this little town where Mm. nobody spoke English and I was like kind of isolated the American and I always had been like you know had just like 
typical when you've been in a town for like 12 years had to like you know my crew of friends where right. it's just like there's no question that this is where you yeah. belong your identity is there you don't there. have to put any work into it it's an established yeah effort. it's yeah. just there and uh and so I think I loved being in France but I was also like there was there was a lot of like social identity questioning mm. and um and so Buddhism became this thing that I just like really delved into deep on my own that year um it just made sense to me i think because it is a lot about questioning identity the whole philosophy of like the self is kind of a construct right and that we are much more interconnected and our self is like relational to our environment was was really attractive and um and so it was when i was in france that i went um on spring break over to Bordeaux, mm-hmm. where this guy Thich Nhat Han, who's like a famous yeah. um, Vietnamese Zen master, has a monastery, and um, I've been trying to just kind of wing it, like figure it out in my yeah. room, you know, yeah. through your own field guide. Yeah. yeah, and then but being there, I was like, I met some of the monks who just blew me away, mm-hmm. like where I just one of the like one of the older teachers. He just, you just saw it in his eyes that like he was high, like he had this freedom, you know, that that um, that until that point I felt like I was getting just glimpses of through, you know, being on a wave or being out um, on an adventure. But I was like, this guy's just like chilling. At the very content here. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's got very little stimulus. Very yeah. little like. Um, that he's has to grasp at. Mm. It's like his whole life is just literally just being at this monastery teaching the younger monks. Yeah. And, um, and so that just immediately became like the new jam that I wanted to like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, he's got something that, yeah. that I, I want to see what he's seeing. And yeah. um, so then it became like about that for a while where I really wanted to be a monk. And, and how long did you do monastery work or were you staying there or? so I wanted to ordain there yeah. I actually called my mom was like I'm not gonna go back to high school I'm just gonna stay here wow. I'm gonna be a monk and she was like dude you're like three months away from graduation so this was you were 18 or something yeah. like that at the time yeah. senior in high school wow and um, and they were welcome they were like yeah stay here <laughs> yeah. you know and, um, but my mom was like just graduate and uh, and then my grandmother ended up dying and came home for a funeral at the end of the year and I wanted to go back there, but I was like, you know, there's a lot of monasteries around. Maybe I don't have to, like, you know, spend a bunch of money going back to France. I'll check out what's here. Yeah. And that summer I went and stumbled on this monastery up in Ukiah. Mm-hmm. It's called the City of 10,000 Buddhas. And mm-hmm. it's like a really traditional Chinese monastery. Interesting. And uh, there was a branch in the Bay Area where um, they had a spot open where I could just, like, go and live and try the monk life, but yeah. not, like, be a monk. Sure. Because once you, like... In that tradition, it's, like, getting married. It's like, a you life don't leave commitment. it. Yeah. yeah. So I got to try it for about... Um, I did it for about eight or nine months. Yeah. And um, was really close to doing it. Yeah. Like, the ceremony. But in that tradition, they recommend you, you go... You have a college degree because mm. they don't want people, like, just, like... You know, teenager Reaching being it. like um, that, <laughs> and also like 
they want you to have thought through it. Like, Develop don't like be like, kind of, uh, yeah. jump into a relationship right. and a week later be right. like, let's get married. Yeah, and then like, so impulsive a month later it's over. Yeah. So that's very cool. I didn't realize that that was encouraged. That's very, very smart. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise they would have a very mixed batch of yeah. know, influx there. <laughs> and, um, exactly. So, so I did that and then ended up, you know, um, I think wanting to apply what I'd learned to the world. Yeah. Instead of staying in your isolated space, relatively isolated. Yeah. Exactly. And I think there were always times where I was like, oh, maybe I'll still, that was really cool experience at the monastery. But ultimately it was like, you know, the world is really uh, a beautiful place too. And, you know, relationships and getting to study things and, yeah. well, I mean, that's like Surf. a, it's a, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Surfing I mean, was yeah, a big part of like being freaking, like not wanting to, I was like, there are monastery many monasteries like right yeah. on a wave where I could just like. <laughs> that's, that's too funny. I've never really thought about that in a very literal sense. That would probably be the most difficult part as a surfer. There are some monks who surf uh-huh. who have like managed to figure it out. But, um, but there's that great, um, and he probably didn't surf. There's that wonderful poster. And I heard it referenced, I think initially in a, in a Jack Cornfield talk. And he's talking about. Yogi Satchitananda, I think, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And he's it's that poster of him standing on a wave in, in, in tree pose. Yeah. He's riding this big wave on a board, and it says, you can't stop the waves from coming, but you can learn to surf. Yeah. And it was just this perfect, like, I was like, oh, I really, I like this marriage of, of spaces and cultures and metaphors here. People have, you know, it's funny, when you go into the history of, like, meditative texts, like, people realize the oceanic metaphors, mm. like, ages ago where like there's so many references to waves of thought and waves of the mind and they didn't know about surfing right you know but then it's kind of this perfect way to extend those metaphors even deeper um well that was something that i I read about in one of the articles that was featuring you as you were referencing all of these historical you know examples throughout various religions around the world of all these long-standing rituals around water yeah um can you like give us some examples of some of those? I mean, it was pretty fascinating when I was reading about it. I mean, yeah. I mean, every every religion um, has has made use of water. I mean, for good reason. I mean, that Philip Larkin has this poem. You know, if I were called in to construct a religion, you know, I should make use of water. Uh-huh. And uh, and they did. You know, it's like you have in in. Uh, Judaism, you know, to, to convert to Judaism or for certain, like, really special ceremonies, you have to find what's called a mikveh, right. which is uh, basically a, a body of water, but it has to be connected to, like, a living source. Like, uh-huh. you can't just, like, go in a bath. Like, uh-huh. you have to, it has to be, like, a Natural hot spring source. or, like, a, an ocean or uh-huh. a lake or a river. And I think there was uh, a knowledge that that was just purifying and rejuvenating yeah. and um, well, baptism and Catholicism. And I mean, obviously, and baptism. It's like, yeah, it's like John the Baptist, you know, dunking Jesus in the in the river, and um, and then on the, you know, Muslims, you know, wash before prayers, mm-hmm. and um, and then on the, you know, the, the the yogis are all down by the Ganges, like you know, right. bathing. Um, and then uh, Buddhists, you know, basically have all these water bowls yeah. where they're um, filling, you know, in the Tibetan tradition, you actually, like, will offer 100,000 bowls of water. And it takes years because you, you do, like, 20 a day or sure. something. Um, 
But water is meant to symbolize kind of the clarity of the Buddha mind, which is, um, you know, and then the Taoists have all those great metaphors of like, you know, the, 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 um, what's the, what's the Tao Te Ching line of like the, the, the good is like water, which sort of nourishes things without, which without, without trying to, or the Tao is like water. Um, well, I mean, wasn't it, I mean, Lao Tzu, right, who, who was spending time with water and with nature when he developed all of these insights Right, and living teachings. in the woods, yeah, just a bunch observing. of just Taoist poets, like, right. you know, observing, and all the, all the Tai Chi and Qi Gong are based on watching nature and um, animals and water, so, um, so yeah, I mean, and, and that's just scratching the surface of the ways that, um, you know, spiritual folk have used water, um, but there's sort of, uh, but it's cool, you know, with like Wallace J. Nichols, who we were talking about, yeah. who wrote Blue Mind, and yeah. has really delved into like the neuroscience of like what water does, yeah. and and you see that even like, you know, even like splashing water on your face like lowers your blood pressure, right. and like um, even thinking about water can be um, get you into a new state of mind. So how much, you know, the more like being in the ocean and then you add in surfing I think is kind of like this ultimate where you're getting to to experience all the benefits of water together yeah because you're in the water and you get these moments of calm and you're sort of like have that womb experience of like returning to your your basic nature but then you're also adding in all the adrenaline of um and when you look at like flow states, mm-hmm. um, you know, you so, want to have a, a sort of embrace of adrenaline, where you're you're balancing relaxation mm-hmm. and Challenge, excitement yeah. and challenge. And so, I think that's one of the reasons. We, well, it's, it's we the keep perfect storm, to it. Yeah. right? I mean, it's like you said, you have those. It's just enough to keep you always in a almost like a survival clarity right where you have to you know maintain that but at the same time you're being humbled and you know and then you're having that space in between sets to to reintegrate and ground yourself again yeah it is really a perfect kind of um yoga and and that um i mean if you if you kind of take that approach to it um sure yeah if you can let it be that experience for you yeah and if you want that but whether you want it or not, you're sort of getting the benefits. Yeah. And, um, well, you probably got to do a lot of really cool research when you were writing the Fear Project, you know, just in terms of looking at the empirical studies being done to measure the effects of water. Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool that we're living in a time where this stuff is kind of beginning to reconcile all of these mysticisms and, and you know, mm-hmm. sort of whatever metaphysical, you know, experiences that have been kind of written off by the hard sciences at least in western culture yeah. you know and, and dismiss in the past and now it's like no you know we're you know I, I even my stepfather who um i shouldn't say even but my stepfather who's a, a psychologist he you know we have a good dark sense of humor about you know a balance of spiritual practices and kind of woo-woo mm-hmm. space and he was even talking with my wife recently he's like no you know what even positive manifestation you know you know, words, you know, or I'm sorry, yeah. positive affirmations. He's like, we're actually seeing neurological impacts to this stuff. He's like, uh, I yeah. can't, I can't get down on it anymore. You know, I can't, you know, say it's not real. You know, it's like it's it's very tangible now. It is, yeah. I mean, they do. I've looked into the studies in the Fear Project about, yeah, how just just like suggesting a positive word 
or like writing it before an exam will yeah. give people like a better score versus if you write stupid or right. you know or, utilizing um, our neuroplasticity for our benefit really. yeah it's just i mean the power of suggestion is is real and it's yeah it's you know hi buddy <laughs> <laughs> yeah dogs know all about yeah. it yeah yeah um, they're teachers for sure hi <laughs> but yeah it is cool that um I mean, for years, uh, a lot of those ancient teachings were just seen as such a, it's their own thing, mm. but really, the, I mean, the great sort of yogic and, and mystical traditions were really, um, the good teachers, I think, were framing them as a science, like right. be an observer of your mind, and an observer of suffering, an observer what brings suffering, what brings happiness. And then, like, become just a master of that. Yeah. And you had, you were, all you had is your your own senses and your ability to observe your mind through, you know, meditation or just through life experience. Yeah. And um, and those somehow, I mean, got framed up as like this thing where people were. I mean, it it often mixes with the sort of folk. Um, beliefs which do often have like magical qualities sure. that aren't Fantastical. some that may yeah. be true or some that may be yeah. not true and so mysticism got kind of blended in with like oh it's just like hocus pocus yeah but um, but if you really look back at the way that it was practiced at a high level it was very scientific and um, and um, but scientific in the true sense of the word where you're not like linking on to dogma just to explain something yeah, easily to inquiry. you which is really like i think science at its highest level and you have scientists now whether they're you know who, who have truly um open minds who i think are just doing basically they're doing what the old yogis recommended which right. is like look into reality at its most basic level and yeah. like keep questioning and keep digging and keep digging and don't like rest on any of your assumptions right and um and I mean, that's the spirit of it for sure. And I think it's, yeah, it's cool to be alive in a time when um, those worlds are starting to yeah. collide. Well, it seems almost in a way like science is actually doing the catch-up work to what was intuitively being done in these disciplines, you know, throughout the centuries at this point. I think so. And I think they can help each other. Like, I think... Um, Catching up in terms of explaining and understanding. Yes. I yeah. mean, certainly like... It is amazing how, you know, a lot of the, the um, old texts sort of suggest this, um, a lot of the ideas that quantum mechanics is getting into now. Yeah, the Dow's with, impact on quantum physics is right, incredible. Right, yeah, Friedrich Capra, you know, Dow physics gets really into it. And, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think they can work both ways. It's like, the scientific framework was to look out at the material world and just keep testing. Um, but they really, in that sense, they weren't um, taking the time to to develop the discipline of observing consciousness, mm -hmm. you know? Um, it was external. Right. Really. Yeah. And so, but now we're realizing, well, there are all these different states of mind that one can enter and you can actually measure those scientifically. But the catch is, I mean, I think this is the important point, is that you can wire up a monk and be like, look how happy this guy is when he's doing these, this breath work or whatever. 
but you can't experience that state just by getting to see the equation or getting to see what right. part of his brain or her sure. brain are lighting up. Just like you can't be like, hey, I know what it's like to surf because I can, you know, be an oceanographer like sure. doing the equation of a wave. Yeah, reading um, about it in a book. Or... So I think um, to be like holistic learners or like really and really develop wisdom versus like knowledge which mm-hmm. I think is the thing that the, like the world is just drowning in right now it's like we have so much knowledge we have so little wisdom yep. and the wisdom is an experiential thing right and um, and I mean that's ultimately why I went back in this book mm-hmm. um, All Our Waves Are Water and Saltwater Buddha to telling stories because mm-hmm. the fear project you know I do all this research and talk to neuroscientists and I kind of just accumulate knowledge which is really valuable but ultimately, I feel like what is valuable for our, like, true, I don't know, good living um, is wisdom and compassion and um, learning how to be present. And all those things have to happen through experience, yeah. you know? And so you have to really, like, engage with life. And, and um, so anyway. Well, um, it's cool because, um, kind of coming back a little bit here, but... Um, I think it was in the Forbes article about you. It's in that article, it was just kind of citing these various, you know, revolutions and evolutions of your perceived life purpose. And I thought it was kind of cool that you, um, I'm paraphrasing, but I think you ended up with kind of feeling that your purpose was to alleviate suffering, suffering for yourself and for others. And I was just curious how, how you see that now manifesting in your life in a tangible way. Like what, what form does that take on for you now? I mean, most, uh, my biggest job is just being a dad, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and um, I think if I can do a good job at that, it's like, that would be the most important work I'll ever do. Right. Um, and, I mean, in multiple, both for my kids and myself, because, I mean, there's, I've never encountered something as challenging as parenting. Um, you know, the fear project is all about how, like, going into, like, your challenges and your fears and embracing them is, like, where the resilience and wow. growth is. And, like... Were you writing that when you had kids? I that was like we were having our first kid, um, like oh, wow. while I was so writing. We were pregnant, <laughs> yeah. And um, I think I started it just before we um, ended up. My wife ended up pregnant, but, yeah. And then so I kind of wrote it through. Looks like oh wow. my gosh, like life's about to like get wild. Yeah. And um, but yeah, I mean now we have three boys under six and or six and under, and there's nothing as like. Um, that will challenge your patience as much as like when all of them are just going ballistic and having to, but it's you know and you see things that come out in yourself that you don't like that were like you're modeling your dad when he was like pissed off and like yeah. and you're just like hold it like but it's where like the juicy part of practice is as a somebody who wants to cultivate patience and peace and kindness you're just like whoa this is like this is like the fire right here Mm -hmm. and now I have to to um, and you make a lot of mistakes and then feel like and then you know but it's daily the like the way that you sort of are are delving into parts of your mind that you didn't think you would have you thought you were totally done with Um, but and so it's great like that and it's fun and I mean there's lots of joys too and and um, I love like just getting to watch them. It's a, definitely a privilege to be a dad, but I um, 
Well, it's cool because I, I think that a lot of people, again, tying this into the to your back and forth relationship, you know, in terms of your intimate connection to monastery life, like that a lot of people can kind of, in a way, just be out there in that little isolated environment. But the important work is really how do you reintegrate that in, and how do you relay those teachings and insights, right? I mean, yeah. Like how do you share that, you know, yeah. share that wealth of, of, you know, wisdom as you're talking about, you know, instead of just keeping it for yourself. I've always thought that that there's something inherently selfish somehow about monks. Yeah. You know? And I don't mean that necessarily. I just don't understand that. Yeah, you yeah. Know, what makes them think that yeah. if they're discovering this enlightenment, why are they keeping yeah. it? You know? <laughs> like, well, yeah. I mean, the philosophy is, is interesting. I mean, that... I mean, they're also looking at... at um, consciousness is sort of eternal so like this one experience might be sort of a blip in your in your sort of soul's trajectory but there's an idea that if you were to truly you know do the internal work um you know whether that takes you know um you know it may take lifetimes that then with that sort of enlightenment and that pure compassion you could do like 10 million times the amount of of, uh, of help for others that because you're finally able to address the root of the problem um and actually i mean if you really get into the mystical aspect of it a buddha somebody who's truly you know uh, connected to their their root nature actually has the ability to understand all beings Su- unique suffering right and so you're you essentially become like a doctor right who can intuit anybody's disease and be like here's the medicine and if you can be a really compassionate person but without that experience yeah. and wisdom and be like well i don't know what the heck's wrong with you <laughs> you yeah. know i'm sorry yeah. you're having yeah. a hard time like yeah. here's 20 bucks um which is helpful sure absolutely but you're not at that point where you can be like you know yeah, really maybe you could try this, and and just right there, it's like the medicine is is um, you're able to cut through. Like somebody might think, oh, my problem is that I don't have the right job, I don't have the right relationship, mm. and you know, you could kind of cut through that and mm. be like, well, you know, let me suggest, you know, right. a different diet or a different um, meditation practice, and that's so, the idea theoretically behind the whole monastic system of like. You, you retreat out of the world because the world is so challenging that you're not going to really be able to get to know your mind in the way that you will ultimately then be able to be a benefit to the world. The way that monasticism developed was people saw the flaw in that exactly the way you're seeing it. Yeah. And they were like, well, look, you know, if we're all one on some level, like, we we also got to, like, help the people who don't even have the opportunity to, like, enter a monastery or because they're taking care of their families. don't have time to think about these things because they're busy surviving. There's wars and all this stuff. And so that's when really, like, the model, um, like, the model within Buddhist culture became, like, you can do that. Or you can also take this sort of bodhisattva vow where you're going to take these principles into any aspect of life. You know, whether it's like being a teacher, being a doctor, being a, um, uh, you know, an artist. Um, And it's really your, because you're going to learn all these different tools that exist to relate to each being. um, And... uh, 
and help them out, you know, and because like, yeah, it's like people are, people are suffering and the world is, is, is messed up. And, um, and I think ultimately, I mean, I, I've gone back and forth about what is the best or like, mm-hmm. what's the best thing you could do. And I think ultimately I think we can't judge other people's decisions because everybody is sort of finding their own role. Mm. And, um, and, yeah. and that's ultimately for me what, uh, when I, you know, I just try to keep that. I, I try to just return to, all right, my compass is on, you know, compassion. Right. Like compassion for myself, compassion for others and the environment. Yeah. And no matter what I'm doing, if I'm like recommitting to that, then it's going to take me in a beautiful direction. Yeah. You know? Yeah. A challenging direction right. for sure. Um, and that whether you're the monk or the teacher or the person, you know, trying to like, uh, you know, um, you know, who's going to the developing world and like, you know, working yeah. with, with kids getting gassed mm-hmm. in Syria or whatever. It's like each, whether you're doing the internal work or the external work or the, you know, political work or the mm. environmental work, I think it's all a piece of the puzzle. Absolutely. You know? and well, it's really cool to hear you explain it that way because I've never even understood that about um, this, this long-term perspective, you know, in terms of this eternal consciousness, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that basically, like you said, that they're not, they don't see this as their only opportunity to do right. the work. They're actually building, they're building house. They're developing yep. their consciousness for their real capacity to be realized. Right. And it, it reminds me a lot of that um, uh, Mother Teresa quote where she, I'm paraphrasing something like, you know, you can't do great things in this world. You can only do small things with great love. Yeah. And it's that same kind of notion, you know, where it's like, no, you just pour all of the love into whatever the, the thing or the act or the small thing is that you can do. Right. And you dedicate yourself to that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right on. And I mean, and I, and I think too, you know, the monks see themselves as like creating a refuge. Mm. It's like we are out here, you know, in the hustle bustle and the traffic and everybody's competing to be, you know, like the baddest dude on the block and mm-hmm. make the most money. And it gets stressful. And like if you don't have a place, I mean, our refuge is like the ocean. Mm or just going on a, on a hike or whatever. But for a lot of people, like the monastery was this place where like they would just keep the energy good. Sanctuaries. And yeah. like it was quiet, yeah. you know, and you could go there and get a free meal and like talk about um, the deep stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and, and be like, hey, you know what? R- remember that the money is ultimately not going to make you happy in the end or the fame or the whatever. So like have somebody talking about that. And I think, um, you know, that takes work to like create a sanctuary. And so like the role that monasteries played in societies was almost like a psychological, um, healing place. And, and they did, and the monks also did a lot of, in the, historically would take in like a lot of sick people yeah. and lepers. And There's definitely like altruism that. there, yeah. So that whole model has like shifted now where like obviously, you know, people are hungry for meditation and for psychological healing yeah. today. But we don't have, we're not going to rebuild like the monastery model, right, I think. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously always will be some monasteries here and there. Yeah. That's not like central to our society. So yeah. I think we're now like figuring out a way where 
we can still go deep but it's going to be way more about integration yeah. for all of us right, right. like i like yeah. that you pointed that out because it's like yeah we got that's the real work right yeah i mean like yeah you can learn these wonder i mean i always think it's the similar you know teachings <clears throat> to like when i was learning about shamanism when i was younger you know about how they emphasize that the most critical portion of your vision quest is your return to the tribe is your yeah. reintegration it doesn't matter if you had some profound experience or connection with the spirit like if you can't come back and reassimilate into your tribe and and help others with that wisdom that you've learned you know then you're just being selfish you know? right and you can get way more lost um and that's why i think you know in in buddhism it's seen as kind of a danger to just go out and be a hermit in the cave if you don't have a teacher because yeah you might have great mystical experiences and be like i you know, whatever, I disappeared and I was one with the universe. But it's like, oh, guess what? Well, now you're back right here. <laughs> yeah, in the well, cave, dude. I can still, and, <laughs> still feel you now. You're right here. <laughs> and, um, and what are you going to, and you can easily become sort of like, almost develop like a super ego around mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Where you're like, I'm, I'm better than everybody out yeah, there. I'm up here. And then, yeah, it's like on some deep level, maybe everybody's existing in this like state of bliss. Um, but also the, rea- the, the reality is we're not, a, nobody's aware of that. So right. it's like we got to go out and yeah. interact with the world. And, and um, yeah, so there's a lot of great Zen stories about yeah. like there's a monk on the mountain and, the, and, they're, and like their teacher comes around and they're just like, you know, wanting to, them to certify their wisdom and be like, Validate tell me how enlightened I am. And they're just like, dude, you need to go get a job. Yeah, like, like just like, I'm asking you shit. Yeah, <laughs> go, go build a work. house. Do something, something useful. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then they, well, it's cool. I mean, it seems like a lot of the work that you've been doing um, is about kind of how to integrate mindfulness into, you know, the craziness of everyday life, you know, and, and just the ups and downs and how, what have been some of the more like impactful takeaways that you found are applicable to integrating into everyday life for mindfulness practices? I think, you know, surf, the surfing metaphor is like been the ultimate <laughs> for me yeah. because really it's, um, there's this myth about that mindfulness is about like voiding your mind or about like just right. being on like the state of non-emotion or yeah. something and um the opposite is actually true that mindfulness when you become present with anything it's like both the external world becomes more rich but your internal world can be more be heightened uh-huh. essentially and um and that can make emotions really full like rather than sort of living this like dulled out existence you can be like whoa like I'm feeling stuff in yeah. an intense way. And, um, and so our, I think our training in this, like in a, in society is often to kind of push our emotions away. Anytime things feel like a little gritty or like scary or, you know, sad that we're just like, I don't want that. So yeah. you go find a distraction, sure. you know, like watch a show or whatever. And, um, run from the discomforts. Right. And, um, and I use that metaphor of like when you first start surfing, how like when you when you when you fall, you panic, you know, yeah. and you run out of air, yeah. and then you lose energy. But like as soon as you've been surfing, even for like a month, you're like, oh wait, I just can't. I relax. will resurface, yeah. and um, and you know, I'll swim once I'm out of the churn. Yeah, and um, and so to me, like the the whole key of integration is like, well sometimes you're just in a storm of like emotions and thoughts but like 
it, that's going to pass. And if you try to push it away or get into like a blame game mm-hmm. of like, I'm just a shitty person or I'm like, I have just a chaotic mind or I'm yeah. not cut out for this or my parents messed me up or like Negative whatever self-talk. story yeah. Yeah. That, that a bad day starts to like spin out for you. You know, to just be like, hey, you know, I'm, I fell off the wave. Yeah. This too shall pass. <laughs> this yeah. will pass and yeah. relax and embrace it. Yeah. Um, I think that's like the whole process of integration right there. Yeah. Is like really learning to accept your emotions, not fight against them. And then, you know, when it's a great one, like, you know, you're loving life or you're falling in love or something, to also like take a moment and be like enjoy it like, yeah be like not just like hey whatever this is happening be like man like take that in and accept it and be like well this will pass too but i'm gonna really you know i'm love this is great and then when things are scary just be like hey i know this is gonna a be a challenge that helps me grow but b this is just a natural part of being human i don't have to like add right insult to injury you know it's just like it is what it is yeah it's a stormy day yeah Um, well it's it's cool i mean like you said surfing is just i mean we're we obviously have that bias you know yeah but but regardless i mean it i really have a hard time arguing against it being such a wonderful metaphor in a universal way it's just there's so many different facets that waves the ocean water but surfing especially like all tie together yeah and you've got this wonderful mantra you know that i read which was um i think you know as long as your compass is on compassion you always end up on the island yeah i thought that was so cool it's really really well put and um i guess what i'm wondering is i'm I'm just curious as surfers and as someone who spent his life surfing and sometimes in some like really you know war stricken or high you know turmoil areas of the world you know where there's a lot of conflict and then even in our local waters wherever we are that you know we interface with this like kind of dichotomy of culture where you've got this relatively speaking kind of evolved at least some of them you know population demographic yeah but we're sharing space with with these behaviors and these um outbursts from people that are really primitive you know i'm you know thinking of localism and stuff like that and it's like how, how do you reconcile that kind of um, shared space with surfing and with the ocean that, that you've got these two kind of I don't know that they're definitely that they're even different groups but they're yeah. definitely you know whatever their experience or wisdom is they've gained is definitely manifesting in a very different way right right you know? yeah I mean I think um, and I mean to, just to be clear like I have those moments too uh, yeah, 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 all yeah. the time you know not all the time but definitely like you know things just stimulate that primal you know, territorial um, urge sometimes, you know, and I'm not proactive ever with it, but I, but I do lose control and I do find that like real primal, you know, um, you know, ape-like behavior sometimes come out and I'm like, what the fuck was that? You know, what was that? You know, it was like practically beating your chest, you know, like you might as well be a monkey. Yeah. And I mean, I think, um, I think a, it's just doing what you just did is like, something that I used to not do is I'd go into like extreme judgment mode of being uh-huh. like these guys are total jackasses and yeah. how can they be so like we're in this beautiful environment right like you know they're calling people out who yeah. are learning or whatever yeah. or calling me out yeah. or whatever I'm just trying to enjoy my life um, yeah. 
but and you know I, I think it's not behavior to be like condoned but also to realize a that like this is all those emotions are in me right and I go through them in different points and sometimes I feel like the alpha or the guy who wants to regulate and sometimes I'm you know the guy who feels like the outsider yeah um, and that whoever this person has not ever been given tools culturally or then their upbringing to act to regulate those emotions right. so like we're all experiencing them somebody you know was raised to believe that or either not have the ability or to think that that's like the way that you validate yourself mm-hmm. and so i think a i mean that when you run into people who are living their lives that well you can almost guarantee they're having like some uh, like a lot of conflict in their yeah, lives. Yeah, suffering probably, So yeah. it's like you can get compassion, but then, um, but, and then kind of just be like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to let it, just let it go because that is the way, like this, this was a, a, an area that neuroscience was really helpful to me because learning about the brain and how the primal brain you know, we basically have two mm-hmm. operating systems. Right. We have like a lizard yep. snake in our brain, like amygdala yeah, limbic system. Yep. And we've got these layers of regulation that we developed over time, which are like able to be like, no, I don't need to like be, you know, follow every impulse. Sure. But those impulses are still being like spewed out. Yeah. And, and they're strong. Primal chemicals. Yeah. And sometimes they can be great. It's like right. when you want all that adrenaline because you need to yeah. like it helps you surf better it helps you yeah uh, be your uh, it's a, it's senses a raw, be changed raw power to be harnessed yeah right and ultimately i think what we're doing with like yoga and meditation is learning how to like ride those like beneficial waves of our like primal energies mm-hmm. and then other times when they're like savage right and you're like this is actually like the energy that's that's destroying the planet right, or like right. creating wars to be like, hey, how could I foc- refocus this? Sure. And when you see people who haven't been able to, which is like a good portion of the planet, how then do you um, basically not let it be the thing that's bringing you down that day? You know, there's like this, there's a great like Buddhist um, and be like the one has to be like the judge or, or um, you know, um, there's a, there's a lot of um, stories in the sutras about like monks or something who are observing someone like being an idiot mm-hmm. or like breaking the rules and getting all like wrapped up in it. And, then, and a teacher will come along and be like, well, who's like suffering from this right now? Right. Like you're, you're here, here like being like yeah. seething about it and maybe the dude is doing it is more like in the shit right. what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I have that moment myself all the yeah. time. You know, I think in general judgment can be that mirror for you you yeah. know like when you find yourself judging you're like well, what is this serving because like, yeah. I'm feeling shitty yeah. as I judge yeah. and they're probably not even aware that this is like a yeah. thing you know I, you know it's like it happens a lot with phones too where I'll be like you know because I'm on my phone a lot but I also don't want to be as much right? and then I'll see someone else like missing a moment in nature or something. Yep. They're on their phone and, and I'm like, like, dude, what a dick. Or like, yeah. What, yeah. like, what is our world coming to? And then I'm like, they're like laughing at their phone and right. I'm like over here pissed off. Yeah. Or they're like, having some good connection with right. a loved one or, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you totally. know? And so it's, 
it's always like turning the 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 and uh, you're right a mirror and an opportunity yeah and then i think by not being like the person who like goes and tries to judge or regulate you know you at least you aren't adding to the problem mm-hmm. and if there's some way i think like there's certain situations obviously where you know maybe somebody's being messed with in a way that's really unjust yeah and like yeah there's a time to there's stand a time to intervene yeah, yeah. And I've had a few moments where, like, um, I felt like, you know what, I'm going to try to discuss this calmly mm-hmm. with somebody and not just be like, all right, peace out, you know, or like, moment. right, yeah. like, or like work it out with words, uh-huh. you know, um, where, and I think those are moment to moment. Sure. It's like, you got to kind of. sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's yeah, interesting. It's not that you're condoning negative behavior by, by finding peace or, or not becoming attached to it. You can stand very firmly in your ground against yeah. something, but without over-attaching or projecting your shit onto someone else. Right, you know? right. And that's the challenging part. I mean, it's a little microcosm of our world now. It's like, you know, how much do you push back against people who are being like negative in politics yeah. and how yes, much do you try to just be solutions based and yeah. and like so, so yeah. it's not easy right you know? no, yeah. it's like a, yeah. uh, always a lot of well and it's gray. kind of the, the timeless philosophical debate you know and yeah the, the you know action and inaction and violence and nonviolence, you know and how to create the most amount of change with what force you know yeah I know. If you figure it out, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even kid myself that I'll figure that out. I don't. And I and I think at, at the end of the day, there isn't one answer. Right. You know? I mean, there's a lot of, you know, conflict has really driven a lot of necessary evolution, too. You yeah. Know? And, and conflict, to an extent, is an integral part of what advances evolution. Right. Not necessarily warring, but that tends to be the way that it manifests even in tribal life. I mean, I think it's easy for people to romanticize, you know, oh, you know, tribal life or, oh, this, you know, isolated here. It's like, no, 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 there's, there's yeah. fucking war and, yeah. you know, horrible shit going on everywhere. Yeah. There may be less of it, but this is an integral part of our humanity. Like, we're, right. we're wrestling with these dominant and, and recessive energies, you know, like, yeah, it's a good the yin and the yang, right? You know, it's like you, you share that space, that masculine and feminine energy, and yeah. you know, where do you find that balance? Yeah. You know? Like it wasn't Martin Luther King or Malcolm X. It was both of them coexisting and kind of opposing one another, but challenging us to like understand that landscape and that spectrum, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, it goes back to, I think, everybody having their role to play um, and and testing out stuff too, you know, experimenting and not like yeah. being settled on any one dogma. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think in general, I try to come back to, you know, that sort of sage position of like any, I mean, ultimately we're dealing with all these big emotions of like anger and wanting to fight and, mm. and, and, and you can fight for justice, but once you've reached that point of anger and you're out of control, mm-hmm. it's like you don't really you're not in control of, of uh, you might do something you, re- you truly regret. And, uh, and so... You've lost connection with yourself, too. Exactly, yeah. I mean, that's what I, I see parenting as so, so helpful for that because I, it's like sometimes you can push with anger and get something done, like mm. be like, this little 
yeah. dudes are just not going to bed yeah. and I'm just so going to fucking lose yeah. it. And yeah. like, and then yeah. they'll be like, oh my God, like yeah. what happened to dad? And yeah. then they'll be like, they w- you will get a result. Right. You sort of won the battle, but lost the war. Because exactly. it's going to come back to you and you're going to lose oh, the connection that, that you want yeah. to them or they're going to, you know. Um, so if you, anytime you do that, it's like, weird you I feel it in my body I'm it's like, kind of a cop that didn't out, isn't it? feel right like and it and I know that that's not what I want them to be representing right but then you don't want to be a pushover you yeah because they will like tear yeah, you to pieces for sure like, in the world yeah. yeah and um so it's it's somehow like that ability to be firm and confident without being angry you know yeah. and then when you are angry like how are you going to channel it yeah in a direction that is positive and not just like lose it. Yeah, and constructively utilize that. Yeah, it's yeah. challenging. Yeah, it's <laughs> totally is. I'm, that's been a major life lesson for me to, to learn to deal with is, is anger energies. Yeah, you know, and how to how to sit with those and how to find a constructive outlet for those. Yeah, you know, and, and and just a way to express them like red like consistently. You know, mm-hmm. have a pressure valve in your life. You know, make sure yeah. that you're not bottling that shit up yes. you know? yeah and, yeah um, yeah it seems like we all find i don't know something that becomes our life you know struggle if it's not one thing it's a yeah. series of things but but those are you know anger and fear are kind of like the two and they're kind of manifestations of each other um and uh those are the sort of is like primal dark energies mm-hmm. of like the human consciousness and they're survival mechanisms and they're not, I mean, when utilized wisely, there can be superpowers because right. there's like a lot of, it's just energy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think thing, our, not to villainize it, you know, I think our evolution, I think the villainization can often at, make it the lead to the repression thing right. because then you're like, Oh no, I don't oh, want to be angry. You run into that at spiritual centers a lot. Oh I think God. that's why people get so, so turned funny. off by them. It's like, this is just a bunch of passive aggressive motherfuckers here. Oh my God, like, it's so funny. <laughs> I've been seeing this and it is so funny. It's yeah. like, it's become to me, just, I'm interrupting, but it was just yeah. like, it's hilarious. I spent my whole life seeing these like yeah. peaceful people be such assholes yeah. to people and to me and to one another. And I'm like, I don't want anything to do with this like yeah. enlightenment that you speak yeah. of because that doesn't seem like enlightenment to me. Yeah, and I mean, it's you know? not its not their fault, but it's like this idealization of the guru and then wanting to be there yeah. all of a sudden, and then they're like... Yeah. And then they're just like, anytime anger does come up or fear, they get into denial about right. it. And so, you know, and it's like, I've been there myself, and I, I can recognize, yeah, that, that the ego can quickly t- delude you into taking that position, but it's, um, yeah, it's so much more valuable... And it can be so much more refreshing when you meet somebody who isn't in that delusion, who's just living their emotions. Because you're like, well, shit, at least you're being honest with yourself yeah. and I can read you and I'm not getting all this like passive yeah, aggressive it's real you. But, um, but then, you know, I think the ideal of human evolution is, and where we're going, is we've, we've created these brains that have a dichotomy where it's like the, the, the you know, the uber like thinker sort of rocket scientist of humanity in, in within us is like can see the problems yeah. it's like i know that anger and fear and violence are the problem but i can't i still feel it in myself you can't let it go and so we're in we're part of this like great integration mm-hmm. of evolution right now and i do think like the 
the, the meditative sciences um, can kind of be like, and and frankly, merging that with like the physical, um, you know, sports, yeah, uh, etc. Like, just is is our our way of trying to direct that mm-hmm. evolution in a good way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's yeah. an uphill. It's a slow. It's slow. And yeah. I think that's what we have to recognize is like not get impatient with ourselves or with that's humanity a good point. because it's like, well, dude, evolution happens slowly. And, yeah. You know, you and this is a major changes shift. overnight. Yeah. yeah. You know, this is like millions no, of years of biology. I'm glad you pointed that out because I, I forget that a lot too. And I think we all kind of do that this isn't meant to be some quick right. fix, right. you know, and we're just starting to just starting to scratch the surface of right. like this integration of our internal and external worlds and finding that balance. Yeah, and I think, you know, the challenge is difficult and sometimes it leads to, like, horrible things, but Mm -hmm. there's also all this beauty in, like, I think a huge part of, you know, what the way that we're integrating is, like, we're writing books and musicals and painting and um, it's, like, that's a way that we're turning, like, these huge energies that we feel inside ourselves into things that are beautiful and that we want to, like, take in and so I think or experiences yeah and um so I try to remember that yeah like you have to be patient with humanity and then Mm -hmm. also see that like the growth is like we are trying to create you know beautiful things from it too yeah um well one thing that that's a perfect um segue into something that you were talking about with your conversation with um Wallace Nichols um and you were talking about how you've I, I think can't remember if it was him or you mentioning it but you've led these kind of almost like thought experiment exercises with people in rooms um, trying to cultivate these metaphors of water and these spaces around water and, and you know I guess what I'm getting is like what can we do to communicate in a more universal way to people who maybe never experienced either water in a direct immersion sense or surfing to like understand that but also how do we how do we surf no matter where we are mm-hmm. you know what I mean like how can we be surfing no matter what we're doing mm-hmm. or, or you know, where we're at. Yeah, I mean, I think it is, um, you know, that can be a great experience for surfers, too, to, like, get it, go away. Right. And, like, go live in the city or go, um, you know, be in, like, Oklahoma and, and feel what it's like to, you know, be out of your normal routine and then um, and learn about... Uh, ways that you can get that same experience you know um, without the water whether it's being out on a hike or Mm -hmm. like you know or going down to the river or um, because ultimately the experience of surfing is yeah it's like a sacred one but if you get just like too attached to that formula it's like kind of limiting and narrow and I think it's why surf culture can often get really annoying to people who don't surf or is like dude like your world is like this big yeah <laughs> like, yeah oh yeah it's my not just that. about i, I you am know? not as pleasant when i've been away from the ocean for a few weeks <laughs> and um i so i think it's just a like opening your mind and doing new stuff like learning how, um to find that rush or those that flow from um putting yourself in new situations and um and because nature is big, you know, and there's so much to explore, and whether it's, you know, climbing or... I've gotten really into, like, 
being a dad, you know, I'm reliving all this stuff that I used to be into mm-hmm. as a kid that I like forgot I was into, you know, whether it's, you know, um, and my kids are really into like the Warriors are really good right now. So they're really into mm-hmm. like, you know, just that, like playing hoops or yeah. whatever. And, and, um, and I think it's been good to have to relive the excitement of like child looking, mind. Yeah, yeah. The child mind. Yeah. And, um, but ultimately it's mindfulness I mean you you, you, you can be in a <clears throat> in a way more beautiful state of mind than surfing a crowded break mm. at the grocery store yeah if you're um, present like truly present with like the sensations of like walking down the aisle like feeling your mm-hmm. breath you know um, kind of taking inventory almost. Taking inventory, yeah. And just being like, is really, if you can get to that point where you can enter any space and maintain um, your sense of awareness, it's like anything can become like a really pleasant, cool experience. Not even necessarily pleasant, but a cool experience or an engaging one. Um, but getting to that place um, requires like a little daily like discipline right of being able to focus your mind because we're so like unfocused like on our phones like you know yeah um, that and I include myself in this yeah like, um, that all of a sudden like all the in-betweens become just kind of like a waste of time like you're just rushing from one point sure. to the next and then you're like oh I gotta surf and that's like yeah. my that's my like good me time or like and everything else in between is like just like lost lost and that's the majority of life is like just doing driving from here to there like going to the grocery store or whatever and I think if um, the opportunity is there though to like maintain presence um, because yeah it's like what in this universe isn't sort of awe-inspiring in a way or or um you know yeah even the way we experience time as like a being with senses like all of that can be like a big experience or a um a peaceful one or an Mm. engaged one if you're ready to engage with the world and um but yeah i think it takes some daily discipline to sort of like prime the mind to be able to take it into those spaces um but yeah definitely that's awesome that's a great I love that that's a really wise piece of advice and it's it's cool because a lot of a lot of my hope for this podcast is is to connect people who have never physically been connected and or never felt connected to something like surfing or the ocean but to but to communicate to them an understanding of of what this is without them having to be in the ocean you know what I mean so just like like I, I see surfing as as we're all surfing yeah we're all learning how to surf here yeah and you know the whatever janitor at your local school could be shredding yeah know? like if he's gotten there yeah in his mind he's surfing yeah you know so i i hope that that's a really wonderful way to think of it the way you just put it and, and that's kind of my hope is that people will will actually understand instead of it being this like romanticized cultural thing that's unique to a specific yeah. group it's like no, no no we're like you know all our waves are water you know yeah yeah this is the waves of life you know that's how do we cool. surf them that's cool yeah yeah and I think I mean Jay and I talked about the actual specifics of yeah you can like lay down in your room and get really good at visualizing right it could be 
um, you know, an ocean, a beautiful tropical scene. Yeah. And that is actually, I mean, now we're really understanding how transformative that is. Reducing yeah. stress or just, um, or if you're an athlete, you know, I was just at Cliff Bar and I was talking with all, a bunch of their sponsored athletes about like how deep they go into visualizing mm. like the track they're about to race yeah. or the, and I mean, they were like, I don't meditate, but I can like, I can visualize every single every turn, hit every on run. this run. And, um, and I do it, you know, 20 times before the race. And I'm like, and yeah, that is meditation. Yeah. Like that is, you're, <laughs> you're using your mind to focus yeah. um, in a way that, you know, it wouldn't otherwise. And yeah. it's a training. And um, so, yeah, you can, you can yeah. absolutely learn to surf rip some waves and be anywhere you know, anyone. Tulsa, Oklahoma yeah. Or whatever. yeah yeah 100 um, percent. that's really cool i love that um well i'll just I'll, I'll wrap up here with you and um i got a couple signature questions i've been working on with each guest and I'm still kind of toying with them but yeah um the first is i i'm very curious about everybody's um first memory of water at all mm. well yeah i'm just you know it's always when you have i mean the the first one that that comes to mind is um, is the Azores. Like we were uh, being out on the beach, um, body surfing with my dad, um, and there and there's there's one memory that um, where we got uh, we were body surfing some big waves. For me, they were probably like two feet, but they looked huge. And um, and my sister got lost, like she got dragged away. My dad was holding our hands in that moment of fear. And then my dad stayed, held on to my hand. And to this day, uh, you know, my sister has a little trepidation of the ocean. But I think, um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but she loves it yeah. too. Um, but yeah, how fun that was just to be That's in that cool. state of like wonder and like feeling safe. And with the my thrill dad. too. The thrill of it. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. That's like a really complex but impactful memory, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. And then what's uh, obviously, you know, you paying so much close attention to the metaphors of surfing and the ocean, I'm sure you've got a lot of them, but if you had to pick one thing that your interactions with water or and or surfing have taught you about how to better surf the waves of life what would that be um it's funny i talk about this all the time and now I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good that means it, uh, i don't know i mean you know um one of them has been uh embracing the paddle I mean, this has been just the other day. I wrote about this in my first book, and the, it all it comes back over and over again. I think because I surf Ocean Beach, and it can be just like a bitch of a paddle. It's grueling. And, um, you know, just there's always a few sessions a year where you either don't make it out or you, you know, try for an hour and a half and finally make it out. And um, and so embracing the paddle has always been like just. Uh, love the challenge mm. of that you know like often we just want to be there and be like on the good wave and um, but most of life it's like you're you're paddling <laughs> for sure yeah <laughs> so 
it's like but to remember that like the thing that shifts that and allows you to be like oh this is cool too is like remembering how much you love surfing mm. and just be like hey this is pretty cool like I might not make it out today but like you know I get to do this I'm challenging period. myself too and I'm getting stronger yeah. yeah and it can be kind of fun to be like am I going to make it and totally. get into the burn a little bit so that's one that I find like comes back for me again and again it was writing is hard right. you know it's like you're just you have a big you, know, you finish a project and you're feeling stoked and you're like I'm going to jump back into the next thing and then you're just like oh shit like, yeah. I'm just staring at the page and I've got 200 pages yeah. to write yeah. and you know that embrace of the paddle I like that helps yeah because I mean, like you said you're, most of your life is the paddle yeah. you, know? yeah. you get those brief glimpses <laughs> of bliss riding away finally but yeah. that is not you know that is not the entirety of the experience and it certainly is not something you can count on yeah you know and I think they if you embrace the paddle you're gonna be that much more ready to like embrace the wave you yeah know, when it comes and celebrate right yeah once you finally yes you've earned it yeah absolutely yeah cool man I love that it's perfect <laughs> well we'll leave it at that and um and thank you so much I really appreciate you taking the time yeah, to come man. on I'm, yeah I'm really honored it's fun to be on cool I'm stoked to hear that this is perfect yeah yeah thank you that's gonna do it for our show today everybody if you enjoyed what you heard and your time with us please take the time to subscribe and rate us on iTunes you can find our episodes there or on SoundCloud and Stitcher if you were turned on by anything in today's episode Please take the time to tell a friend or a loved one about the show. It's listener recommendations and support from people like you that make this show possible. If you think the show deserves to grow and or adds value to your life, you can contribute your support by donating on Patreon, an easy-to-use crowdfunding platform for creators such as myself. If you're interested in any of the guests or topics covered in the episodes, you can find further information about them in the show notes section on iTunes or in the blog post on our website. Lastly, if you have any thoughts, questions, or feedback, any ideas for future guests or topics, you can reach out to me directly on our website at www.offshoreinsightspod.com. That's Offshore Insights, followed by the letters P-O-D.com. Today, I leave you with a song by Dave Fade called Autumn. Until next time, be well, keep in touch, and enjoy the ride.
you.